Praise the Lord for that. Sunny, it is good to have you back for these weeks. I wish your travels would keep you around Montgomery more than they do, but we're, we're thankful when you're able to be here. And thanks for blessing us with that song and that reminder when the saints do go marching in, friends. We need God's grace to keep that in view, don't we? To remember this is not our home. We are aliens and strangers in this world, but we are longing for that day when we see Jesus face to face and we get to our heavenly home. Well, I want to open us this prayer as we get into the sermon part of our worship service this morning. Father, I am thankful for this Gateway family, these precious brothers and sisters. And Lord, I'm just thankful for the hunger you have put in their hearts to know you more, the hunger you have put in their hearts to crave your word and to go deep into your word. And Lord, I know we're tackling tough topics as we look at how our identity in you shapes now how we live in our daily practice. And Lord, I know it gets really convicting as we tackle some of these issues of where the gospel transforms different areas of our lives. So Lord, we ask for much grace this morning as we tackle the issue of anger. Lord, that this would not be a sermon of moralism, of trying hard or being good to somehow get your favor. But God, would you remind us of the gospel, that we only do these things because you have already given us a new nature, because of what you have already done for us. And we desire by your grace and by your spirit stirring with us to walk worthy of the gospel. And Lord, we acknowledge this morning we cannot do that in our own strength. And we are so frail and so weak, and any of our determination will just fall flat in its face. So Lord, we ask for grace this morning to hear your word in such a way that we hear it in light of the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what you have done for us. So God, would you take your word this morning and would you transform us through it so that we can be all that you've created us to be, that we might know you more intimately, Father, we might be free from sin's strongholds in our life. And we ask it for your glory and for our joy in knowing you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we continue through our journey through Ephesians, I want to ask you this morning, do you ever struggle with sinful anger? Do you ever struggle with some... Oh, I like the honesty right up front. Yes, do we ever struggle with sinful anger? And we do. If we're honest, we all at times have different times in our lives where we've struggled with sinful anger. There is a temptation, though, to think I'm okay a lot of the time in this. Like last week when we were looking at falsehood and lying. We tend to look at those extreme cases and go, well, I'm not like that, so I'm okay. I don't scream a whole lot. I just raise my voice a little bit. I just get frustrated. I'm just a passionate person. We can find all sorts of justifications for thinking we're really not struggling with anger when really we are. So I'm going to do what I did last week. Last week I gave you 12 different ways that we commonly lie as believers. I'm going to give you a checklist this morning. These are lots of fun, aren't they? This morning I want to take a list. This is not unique to me. I've adapted this from David Powelson, who's a biblical counselor. He has a book that we have in the resource center called Angry to Good. And it's a great resource. But he says there's six ways we, we as believers can deal with anger and express anger. Now, let's see six different forms anger can take. First of all, I want to say, please don't listen to this going, man, that's what my spouse does. That's what my kids do. This is not a checklist to use on someone else, okay? This is a checklist for our own hearts as we listen to this to go, okay, Lord, how does this manifest in my life so by your grace I can change? Are any of these true for me? So six ways anger can be present. Number one, violence. This is anger taken to its full extent. This is physical harm to others or to things. Violence towards others. We all hear the heartache of abuse in home situations. We see the shootings. We see violence everywhere. Violence is a form of anger. Number two is arguing. This is perhaps what most of us think of when we think of anger. This is that interpersonal conflict when we get into arguments with people. Sometimes it means we raise our voices. Sometimes it doesn't. But it's that argumentativeness when we're showing our anger to another person as we argue with them. So there's violence, there's arguing. Number three is, this gets more close to home, being irritable. David Pallison says being irritable is a form 
of anger, whether you want to call it having a short fuse, being cranky, being testy, being easily set off, just one who gets frustrated. All those are terms for being irritable, and all those are a form of anger. Now, one reason we tend to use those terms more than the word anger is because being frustrated doesn't sound quite as bad as being angry, does it? But it's really the same thing. Frustration is anger, perhaps just in a milder form. And so David Powelson argues pretty compellingly that being irritable is an expression of anger in our hearts. Number four, being self-righteous or being defensive. This is when we delight in airing our grievances to others, delight in airing our grievances about someone else, delight in airing our grievances about our situation and what's going on in our life, always passing the blame. It's never our fault. It's always the fault of our situation. It's always the fault of someone else, being self-righteous. So being violent, arguing, being irritable, being self-righteous or defensive. Number five, being bitter. Bitterness. This is anger over a long period of time. This is holding grudges. This is thinking a long time, dwelling over and over about the wrong that's been done to me and how I want to get even or to express that. Bitterness. And friends, bitterness is not always expressed verbally. We can be angry in our heart and soul and it never come out of our mouth and no one but God ever know. And number six is passive anger. Passive anger is the cold shoulder. It's the silent treatment. It's avoiding someone. It's giving distance to someone to punish them for how they have hurt you. Friends, how many husband-wife relationships have been wounded because of passive anger, because of this type of thing? So you have the six different ways anger may be analyzed. Violence, arguing, being irritable, being self-righteous or defensive, being bitter, and being passive. And I hope as you can see, anger is not always this outburst like we think of. Anger can be quiet and silent where no one even knows about it but God. Regardless of the form, I want you to listen to its effect. I'm going to quote David Powelson here. He says, Anger is the reaction that incinerates marriages and disintegrates family. Anger energizes gossip and guns down classmates. It divides churches, turns friendship into enmity, and erupts in road rage. It's the stuff of every form of grievance and bitterness. If it's that destructive, friends, why is anger so common even in believers' lives? We look at the churches today. Why is anger so common as an expression? I think it's common because of three things. This will be no surprise to you. It's, it's common because of our own flesh, our own simple tendencies, our own old nature. Our flesh, our old nature loves expressing anger. Our old nature loves getting our own way. I came across a guy I never heard of before this week when I was studying on anger. His name was Friedrich Buchner. I don't know much about him, but he said this. He says, of the seven deadly sins, anger is probably the most fine. Think about that. Of the deadly sins, anger is the most fun. He says to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. Friends, anger is common because our flesh loves it. We love to be right. We love to express when we've been wounded and common not just because of our flesh, but it's also common because of the world. Friends, the world models anger for us. A lost world holds up anger as a normal way to deal with your concerns, to deal with your conflicts. The world models it. Think of the news. The news just shows us anger after anger after anger in the community and the world. Think of the movies we watch and the entertainment. Friends, our entertainment shapes our worldview. The entertainment models for us anger. It makes it so normal. This is how we handle interpersonal conflict or disagreements or differences of opinion. So the world shows us and encourages that. So our flesh wants it, the world shows it and encourages it, but friends, let's not forget there's a very real enemy named Satan. And Satan loves anger for his purposes. So friends, what is the biblical response in our lives when we see anger? 
whether it's violence, whether it's arguments in our homes or workplace or with friends, whether it's us just being irritable and frustrated, whether it's we're self-righteous and defensive, whether we're bitter, whether we have passive anger, what is the appropriate response for us? I want you to find Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. As you find Ephesians chapter 4, I want to remind us of where we are in Paul's flow of thought here. Chapters 1 through 3, we've seen our identity in Christ. For new to Gateway, we've been looking slowly through the book of Ephesians. And the first three chapters are, who am I in Christ? That I, as a child of God, have been chosen by God. I've been adopted. I have a seat at his table. I belong to him. He's given me every spiritual blessing in the heavens. There's three chapters rich of who I am in Christ. And then chapter 4 begins for us with this transition. Now, walk worthy. Here's who Christ has said you are. Now, by his grace, not by your strength, by his grace, start living like who he said you are. And we've seen a paradigm two weeks ago of how you do that. You put off your old nature. But it's not enough just to stop sinning. That sinful thing has to be replaced with a Christ-like virtue. So we put off the sinful nature. We put on by his strength and his grace. We put on the Christ-like virtue that should take his place. We saw that lived out last week in terms of falsehood. As believers, as followers of Christ, we walk worthy of our calling by putting off lies, by putting off falsehood. But it's not enough to stop there. We have to replace it with something else. So we put on grace-saturated truth-telling to one another. We tell the truth, but we do so in gracious ways. And so we put off falsehood. We put on gracious truth-telling. Now, Paul moves on in his flow of thought here to anger. He's going to show us what we tackle when we tackle anger in our lives. So before we can get in the text, I need to give us a definition of anger, because there's so much confusion about anger today. If you listen to people talk about anger, even believers, you would think you're listening to an engineering lecture on hydraulics. You hear people talk about anger, and there's this pressure that's building up inside of me, and I've got to release it. Or it sounds like some type of other science experiment. I've got a fuse that's getting shorter and shorter and shorter. If you hear people talk about anger, you think they're talking about cooking. My pot is about to boil over. The steam is building up. The pressure is about to release. I'm going to blow the top. All these analogies for anger that we use in our culture are so appealing, but they're so wrong. We run to descriptions of anger that way because if anger is a force inside of me, I am not responsible for it. Do I use that talk of, I need to vent my anger. I need to release my anger. I need to get the top off of my anger, friends. We're taught that way because we don't want moral responsibility before a holy God. Then my anger is my fault inside of my heart. So realize the way our culture talks about anger is so not helpful. I want to give you a definition. It's not unique to me. This is probably put together from different guys over the years. But this is the definition that helped me rethink anger. And I think we have it on the screen for it. Anger is a moral choice I make to a situation I do not like. Because if we can redefine anger as not a force inside of me to release, we can think of it in terms of this. This will change how we seek the gospel to change our anger, how it changes how we approach things in this life. Friends, anger is a moral choice I make. It is something that I can choose differently on, but I'm in a situation I do not like. I am judging this situation to be wrong. I'm judging this situation to be offensive. I'm judging this situation to be less desirable. Therefore, I make a response to it. I make a choice as I judge something to be wrong of how I respond in it. Anger is a moral choice I make to a situation I do not like. Now this anger happens in three stages. I think this will help us understand how we get to a place of anger. Now this is from David Pallison again. See if this isn't true for you. He says anger happens in three stages. Stage one, I perceive a wrong or an offense to me. I perceive a wrong or an offense to me. Something is an inconvenience to me. Something is a problem and I perceive it as being wrong. So let's give a little funny example that's not so funny in my life because this is too true for me. You're you're driving to a meeting and you're already a few minutes late. You're in rush hour and you're on the boulevard and you realize the Department of Transportation decided to do intersection repair during rush hour. Okay? I'm now in a situation I don't like. All lanes of traffic on the boulevard are at a standstill. 
The, the Department of Transportation is not sinned against me, but I've taken an offense. This is, is a perceived wrong, a perceived offense. So that's step one. I perceive a problem, I perceive a wrong, I perceive an inconvenience. Step two of anger is I now take an opinion of disapproval. I take an opinion, I take a stance of disapproval. And so now I look at the situation I don't like and go, what idiot scheduled road construction during rush hour on the boulevard? And so I take a stance of disapproval at that point. So my perceived wrong, step one, becomes step two of an opinion of disapproval. That leads to step three, some type of action. Step three is action. So I get on the bumper of the car in front of me. I slam my fist on the dashboard, and those things really help, right? You know, I glare at the, the, the employees working as I go by, and maybe I get home and write a Facebook rant about the inefficiency of it. Or maybe, if you know me, I write the, the director of the Department of Transportation about the problem there. Yeah. I've been moved to action. There's a perceived wrong... It's an opinion of disapproval that moves me to action. If you notice in that example, anger is not even, my anger is not even a response to a sin against me. It's just a response to something I do not like. Well, maybe you're not one who deals with that, so here's maybe another one for you. You've had a long week. It's Friday night. You're like, I get to chill. I'm going to get my next Netflix movie on when I get home. I kick at my feet and relax. And you get home, and you turn on your internet, and Charter or Wow is down. Once again, I assume you're laughing because your internet's about as reliable as ours around here. There's an inconvenience to you. Charter's not sending against you. Wow's not sending against you. But there's an inconvenience. You do not like the situation that you're in. So you have a disapproval. Your inconvenience, your perceived wrong, becomes a stance of disapproval. I can't believe they did that again. They don't care. They're so unreliable. You've made a stance of disapproval. Number three, it leads to action. You grind your teeth. You yell at your computer, which is really helpful also, you know, like in traffic. And then perhaps you call and you yell out and you chew out the poor customer service rep in another country who doesn't have anything to do with Montgomery's Internet. You've expressed your anger. There's a situation you didn't like. You have a stance of disapproval, and you take action on it. Friends, anger is a moral choice we're making to specific situations. And if we can realize it's not a force with inside of us, friends, we can, by God's grace, choose differently in each of those situations. I can make a choice different in that. So what should our choices be in any of those situations where we're tempted to, to have sinful anger in our life? Well, Paul's going to show us in Ephesians chapter 4, just two short verses this morning, verses 26 and 27. Now, as we get to these two verses, Paul's not going to use the same put-off, put-on language that we've been seeing in recent weeks. Now, it's there, at least the put-off part of it. So as we read, look for what do I need to put off? But then what we put on is we're going to talk more about in just a minute. But as you look in the text of what we put off, I want you to look for why we put it off. What is at stake if we do not biblically tackle the sinful anger that's in our hearts in our lives. So we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Just two short verses this morning, but with so much application for our lives. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. May God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated on that. One thing I want you to see from these two verses this morning as we think about anger is simply this sinful anger must be replaced with righteous anger, forgiveness, or patience. Our sinful anger must be replaced. There is no place in the life of a follower of Christ. If we know Jesus and we claim all the blessings of Ephesians 1 through 3, there is no place in our hearts and our lives for sinful anger. It has to be put off. But what do we put on in this place? Well, there's three different possibilities. I'm not trying to be political here on it, but there's three possibilities, and it depends on the situation. What we put on depends on what we're up against in the situation. We either need to put on righteous anger... Or forgiveness or patience. And we'll talk more about what those are in just a minute. Sinful anger must be replaced in the life of a follower of Christ with either righteous anger, forgiveness, or patience. But first of all, realize that means there's, if there's sinful anger, that means there's two types 
of anger. Look back at verse 26 for us of Ephesians chapter 4. Be angry and do not sin. That means there's a way to be angry and not sin, and a way to be angry and sin. So there's two types of anger. There's sinful anger, but friends, there's also righteous anger. And I don't think we think about this in a whole lot. There is a form of righteous anger. In fact, this phrase, be angry and do not sin, is a direct quote from Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. I want you to see where this comes from in the Psalms. In Psalm 4, 4, King David writes this, be angry and do not sin. And that's where he goes, ponder in your own hearts and on your beds and be silent. There is a righteous form of anger. What is righteous anger? This is what King David was experiencing when God's people had been lying when people have been slandering God's people, when God's name is being defamed, there is a righteous anger that is okay to feel. Good anger, righteous anger, is anger that is not selfish. That's the big distinction. Is our anger selfish about me or is it about God's glory and about others? There's a righteous anger that's based on love of God and love of others. When we hear God being slandered, when we see evil propagating in the world, when we see innocent people besides us hurt, there is a good, righteous anger that we should feel. In fact, Jesus models this for us in Mark chapter 3, in this account of the man with the withered hand. And so Mark chapter 3, verse 1, I want you to see this text for us here. And he, Jesus, entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. Verse 2. And they, these are the religious leaders, they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him, the man with the withered hand, on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. Verse 3. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. Verse 4. And he said to them, is it lawful? This is Jesus speaking now to the religious leaders who are the skeptics. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. Why were they silent? Because they didn't care about the suffering of the man. They didn't care about God's glory. Verse 5. And he, Jesus, looked at them with anger. Jesus looked at these religious leaders with anger. And he grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was healed. Jesus had holy anger, good anger here, but his anger was not about himself. It was about these hard hearts that were leading to the innocent suffering and to God being defamed in front of them. But notice here, this is so important, his good anger was tied to grief. You see that? He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Friend, if you notice, righteous anger is tied to grief. We, we grieve over the innocent suffering. We grieve over God's name being defamed. And so because that, there is a holy anger that comes with that. The reality of most of our lives is our anger is not tied to grief, which means it's a pretty good sign, a good test for us that our anger is a sinful anger. Righteous good anger about others being hurt, about God's glory not being seen is an anger that is tied with grief, unlike our sinful anger. So if there's righteous anger, again, there's sinful anger. Look back at Ephesians 4, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Again, there's a very real danger for us to have anger that is self-focused, that's sinful anger, it's self-defensive, it's self-serving. It's anger because I am inconvenienced. The Department of Transportation decided to work this morning, so I get angry. Charter a wow went down, I get angry. Someone said something that offended me, I get angry. Sinful anger is anger that is about me, my way not happening, me being offended, me being inconvenienced. And friends, remember that sinful anger is not always an outburst. It can happen quietly in our hearts, but we may get angry and only God sees it. Friends, it's sinful, it's worldly, it's fleshly, it's of the enemy. Galatians chapter 5 is a beautiful text for us. It shows the contrast between what happens when the Spirit of God is in control of our life and the fruit that comes from that and what happens when our flesh is in control. So I want you to see Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. 
Now, the works of the flesh, what happens when the spirit is not controlling us, when our sinful nature is in control? Now, the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Now, verse 20, look at how many of these are related to anger. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions. Seven of that verse are about anger, friends. And he goes on, envy, drunkenness, origins, things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now go back to verse 20 again. Seven on that list are about anger. Seven on that list are about sinful anger, our enmity, our division with people, our strife, our jealousy, our fits of anger, our rivalries, our dissension, our division. This is all sinful anger, and that comes not from God. That is so contrast to the good anger when others are hurting, and it's about me not getting my ways. Friends, when we see that type of sinful, fleshly anger in our lives, what do we do? We'll go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Go back up to what we saw in Ephesians verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. When we see those expressions of anger, whether it's passive anger or the cold shoulder, whether it's bitterness, whether it's being defensive, whether it's angry outburst, whatever form it takes in our heart and our life, when we see it, we have to put it off. That's fleshly, what we just saw in Galatians 5. It needs to be put off. That belongs not to our new nature in Christ. That belongs to our old manner of life that should not be there anymore. It must be put off no matter how many self-justifications we can make for, well, I wouldn't get angry if they didn't do that to me. It's their fault. No, it's not their fault, friends. That's more anger that's defensive. It's my own responsibility. I give an account to God for it. There's never a place for that in my life. It must be replaced. But friends, how do we replace it? How do we get rid of it? Three things for us. How do we get rid of it? First of all, we find the wrong belief that led to it. We find the wrong belief that led to it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. We've already seen this a few weeks ago, but in Ephesians 4, 23, we're told to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Friends, we need to let the Spirit of God search deep down into our hearts to show us what lies we're believing that leads to us getting angry. It may be lies about ourselves, of what our rights are, and how good we are, and how entitled we are, and all these things. It may be a lie about us, but it may be a lie about God. Has God really provided for me? Is God really good? Why did God let this situation happen to me? It may be a lie about other people and their worth as people created the image of God. There's so many things it could be. We need to, by God's grace, renew our minds and find out what's deep in our heart and soul that is leading to these expressions of anger, whatever we are. So number one, we find the wrong belief that led to anger. Number two, we need to remember the gospel. Friends, so often we treat the gospel like something that we do to get in the kingdom and then we're done with it. Because the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done is for every day of our lives. We need the gospel just as much to put off anger as we do to come to faith in Christ in the first place. The gospel is for all parts of our life. So we remember the gospel. And then number three, we seek God's grace to replace the anger in our lives. We seek God's grace to replace it. Look at verse 24 of Ephesians. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Friends, victory over anger is not, does not come by learning a deep breathing technique. Victory over anger does not, is not arrived when instead of yelling at your wife, you go for a run instead. That's not victory. You're still bound to your sin. Victory does not come through all these worldly techniques of hitting the wall, running, deep breathing, whatever. That's not Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness is verse 24. We replace anger by putting on the new self. We would we put on whatever Christ would do. When Christ saw the man with a withered hand not being taken care of, he didn't go for a run to get rid of his anger. When Christ saw situations that, that were bothering him, he didn't go hit the wall so he didn't hit someone else. He had biblical expressions of what to do in those situations. So what do we do, friends? We put off anger. What do we put on in its place? 
Well, it depends. I'm going to give you three possibilities what we put on instead of our simple anger. Number one, in some situations we can put on righteous anger. Righteous anger. What we saw Jesus expressing. Righteous anger can be expressed towards injustices, the innocent suffering, God's honor, protecting life made in His image. It's good for us to feel angry, friends, about what God is angry about. But the reality is, we don't get angry about the stuff that God gets angry about. We get angry about stuff that doesn't really, that, that really is sinful in our own hearts. We're not angry about what God's angry about. But friends, notice this. When we put on righteous anger, it must be short-lived righteous anger. Short-lived is so important here. Go back to verse 26 of Ephesians chapter 4 here. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, this is not literal, meaning you have to resolve everything before you go to sleep. If so, the Eskimos in Alaska have it a lot easier half the year than we have because they have, what, like 18 hours a day, and we've got like eight hours left. Come on. Like, this is not about literally the sun going down and what time. This is an image for us, an intentional image, to warn us about letting righteous anger linger in our hearts. Because, friends, righteous anger in our hearts can quickly turn to grudge, can quickly turn to bitterness, can quickly turn to sin. So yes, it's okay when the innocent suffer. Yes, it's okay when we see others being wronged. Yes, it's okay when we see God's name being defamed and mocked to feel a righteous anger. But friends, it needs to be short-lived. What do we do with it? It's good to feel it. It's good to know it's there. It's a part of being made in the image of God. But what do we do with it? Well, we embrace it for a short time, but we quickly give it to God. We must quickly give it to God. Look in Romans chapter 12. I want you to see Romans chapter 12, verse 3. The whole text is absolutely phenomenal. But Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Paul says, For the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. So just pause there. At the very outset of Romans 12, we are called to think rightly about ourselves. Friends, if we live that out, we're not going to have a lot of simple anger. Because if we think rightly about ourselves and about who God is, then we're not going to take offense at all the things we take offense of that are not things that God takes an offense at. We need a correct thinking about us. But flowing out is Romans chapter 12, verse 9, if you jump down just a few verses. Let love be genuine, but notice this, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Friends, loving and having righteous anger to what God is angry about is okay. These can go together. We can abhor what is evil. But friends, notice it doesn't linger. Verse 12, this is what we do with it so it doesn't linger. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So what do we do? When we're in the situations that warrant righteous anger, we feel it. We can embrace it for a short season, but we quickly give it to God in prayer. We quickly trust His goodness and His sovereignty. And friends, we realize He's going to be the one to judge, not us. So Romans chapter 12, verse 17. We've got a few verses I want you to... We'll just read them through. Romans chapter 12, 17 and 21. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably... With all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Then verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Friends, there are situations that warrant us having righteous anger, but it needs to be short-lived. We must give it to the Lord to put our confidence in Him that He's the judge, that He's going to do what's right, and we turn and try to bless those, even those who we would naturally in the flesh be angry towards. Friends, the reality is most of our struggle with anger is about ourselves when others have offended us. And our call is 
if it's a place to where there is righteous anger warranted towards others, we can then turn it towards the Lord and give it to the Lord in prayer. Feel the feeling, not feel guilty for it, but give it to God in prayer and trust Him to be the judge. And then we try to bless those who have hurt others there. But how do we respond when it's personal? Because most anger is about me being offended. What do we do when it's personal? Well, there's an important distinction here that, that determines what we do. Have I been sinned against or is it a preference? Friends, if we can make that distinction, a sin versus preference, so much would change in how we interact with one another because we get so hung up over perceived offenses. They're not sins biblically. They're preferences over things. So when it's personal to me, it's not a place for righteous anger. What do we do? We have to ask, first of all, is it a preference or is it a sin? Friends, if it's a sin, here's what we do. If, it's, if, if someone has sinned against me, what am I to do? I put off sinful anger. I put on forgiveness. So when you have been sinned against... Your biblical reaction is not to lash out in sinful anger to get back to the person. Your biblical response when someone sinned against you is to put on forgiveness. You see Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. As Paul's writing to the people in Colossae, he, he tells them similar. Put on then. Sound familiar? Put on imagery. Put on then as God's chosen one. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And then verse 13. Bearing with one another, here's that forbearing love we've already talked about before, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. So in our second situation, friends, when when our flesh wants to feel angry because someone has sinned against us, our biblical responsibility is to forgive them, to have forbearing love to them and to forgive them. Why? It goes back to the gospel. Friends, if you and I remember how much God has forgiven us, How in the world can we hold grudges over other people? God doesn't give us a cold shoulder, so what right do we have to give our spouse, our kids, our person who's offended us a cold shoulder? God doesn't scream at us. What right do we have to scream at them? Our biblical responsibility, someone has sinned against you. Yes, your flesh may start to rile up because you've been offended, but your response is by God's grace as a follower of Christ to put that off immediately and to put on forbearing love, forgiveness to them because God has forgiven you so, so very much. But the third situation, you have righteous anger when God has been offended, when innocent have been hurt, and we put on righteous anger for a short period of time that we turn to trust in God. If we've been sinned against personally, we put off our sinful anger and we replace it with forgiveness. Friends, there's a third situation. This is where I think a lot of times we fall so very short. What happens when I'm offended and the person didn't even sin against me? The situation I mentioned at the beginning, the Department of Transportation, Netflix not working, whatever. I haven't been sinned against, but it's those situations where we get so offended, where we get so angry over things, and there's no sin in the Bible that we can quantify that with. What do we do in that situation? Well, friends, we have to, if someone's offended or inconvenienced us, we must put off a sinful anger and put on patience. We must replace a sinful anger with patience in that situation. Remember, anger is a choice, and by God's grace, we can choose differently. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, why does it say if possible? Because there are times that you can do everything by God's strength and God's grace, and the other person won't respond. Your conscience is clear before the Lord. But as far as it depends on you, friends, we are to live at peace with all people. That means when, when we start taking offense, I can't believe the Department of Transportation scheduled and I can't believe that person said something to me. I can't believe that person didn't do what I wanted. Whatever, and it's not a biblical sin, our responsibility is not to get angry. It's to put off our responsibility is to live at peace with that person, to show patience with them, to show love to them. 
In fact, I read to you earlier from Galatians chapter 5 of the works of the flesh and how it, it leads to division and dissension, all these things. I want you to see Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 as well. But the fruit of the Spirit, now friends, this is not something that we can manufacture. This is if the Holy Spirit has control of us and we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. This is what happens. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Notice that's not giving the cold shoulder. That's not me raising my voice. That's not me holding bitterness. Notice the contrast here. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And then in verse 23, you have gentleness and... There it is. What's the next one? Oh, ouch. You mean by God's grace when they're doing construction on the boulevard, I'm late to my meeting, I can have self-control and peace and patience and gentleness? Yes, by God's grace, we can. When Netflix goes down because of charter or wow, can you have self-control and gentleness with a person on the phone at customer service? Yes, you can by God's grace. When your spouse offends you because they didn't do what you expected them to do and you probably didn't even communicate it well to them, can you, instead of getting angry, find gentleness and forbearing love for them? Yes, when your kids have disobeyed you and there's things need to be done, instead of yelling at them, can you find gentleness and still do correction? Yes, you can by the grace of God. Friends, God has changed our nature. The old is gone, the new has come. And yet so often we live like we're non-believers. Our anger is expressed in ways that the pagans around Montgomery express anger. Our driving looks like they're driving. The way we treat people in customer service looks like the way non-believers do. The way we treat our spouses is the way non-believers treat their spouses. Friends, by God's grace, if we are a child of God in Ephesians 1 through 3, with all these blessings of who, what Christ has done for us, by His grace we must get rid of our sinful anger and replace it with either righteous anger, with forgiveness, or with patience. But why? What is at stake here? Look back in Ephesians chapter 4. What's at stake in our lives if we do not, by God's grace, put off our sinful anger and put on these righteous virtues? Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let's let that sink in. If we do not, by God's grace, put off our sinful anger and put on either righteous anger, forgiveness, or patience, we're giving Satan an opportunity he wants. Because every time in our home, in our workplaces, in our small groups that we choose to have passive anger in our hearts, bitterness, defensiveness, irritabilityness, crankiness, being argumentative, even violence, anytime we have any of that in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, we're giving Satan an opportunity that he is excited about. And what's the opportunity? Not so much about me. He's already got me where he wants me. Because if we have bitterness in our hearts, if we have argumentativeness in our hearts, He's already got us right where he wants us. So he doesn't need that opportunity. We've already given him that opportunity. What opportunity is he looking for? He's looking for the opportunity to divide, to break relationships. Think about what God's plan is for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 that we saw some weeks ago. For he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall hostility. God's plan is to take believers and bring us together, that our homes are going to be places to where all the dividing walls are broken down, to where there's peace because of who Christ is. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, look at what he does in church. In him, you also are being built together, this is the church, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God is at work to bring us together, to make us believers with different personalities and different backgrounds who love one another and show forbearing love and are being built up to be a dwelling place for God himself. So what is Satan looking for? To destroy the glory of God being seen. Satan does not want the glory of God seen in our churches. He doesn't want the glory of God seen in our homes. He doesn't want the peace of God to reign in gate. He doesn't want the peace of God to reign in your homes or in your schools. He's looking for an opportunity to divide and break relationships and split churches. And you look across this city, friends, this is a city of division on just about every front. The 
This is the opportunity Satan's been wanting. And every time in our lives, we don't put off our simple anger. Every time we don't run to righteous anger and patience and forgiveness, we are giving the enemy a very real door that he is excited and thrilled about because he's splitting things that are supposed to be showing the world the glory of God. Verses 26 and 27 again. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Friends, the good news is that the devil does not have to win on this. If we are in Christ, we have everything we need to put off our sinful anger and to put on appropriate either righteous anger, forgiveness, or patience. And this week, let's cry out as his children to show us areas of our lives, perhaps that we're not even aware of, where anger is holding its hold in our hearts and giving the enemy an entryway into our homes and into our churches. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for your word on the passages that make us feel good. And God, we're thankful for your word on the passages that hurt as well. God, I pray in my heart this week, in the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, God, that you would show us, because of your kindness to us, because we're your children, that you would pursue us and show us are there areas of our lives to where we have anger that we didn't even realize we had. And whether it's types of anger we didn't think about before, whether it's bitterness or passive anger or just being cranky or whatever, Lord, would you convict us of those? Lord, if there's anger in our life we're aware of but we're not repenting of, would you show us that this week? God, I pray in my heart, in my home, in the hearts of these precious brothers and sisters in all their homes this week as well. That God, by your grace, we would give no opportunity to the enemy. God, to bring division into our families, bring division into our churches, bring division into our workplaces, because we have this unrepentant sin in our life. So God, we ask for grace, much grace. Because God, we cannot manufacture holiness. We can't manufacture patience. God, we can't manufacture forgiveness. We can only do these things if your Holy Spirit fills us And these become the fruits, the overflow of what you've done in our hearts and our lives. So this week in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, God, would you this week so fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you so fill us with your presence? Would you so give us eyes to see your greatness that we've just sung about earlier today? The God, that we want to walk in holiness. And God, if there's places where we've failed, and whether it's truth-telling, as we saw last week, or anger today, God, that we'd be quick to repent. God, we wouldn't hide behind our pride and excuses, but we would go to whether it's a spouse even if we have to go before our young children and say, I have sinned against you by being angry. God, that we would humble ourselves and go seek reconciliation with those who we have wounded and hurt by our simple anger. And perhaps even through that, God, that bridges might be mended, relations might be healed, and where the enemy has won battles, I pray that this week those would be undone. And that you would win those battles, God. That you fight for us in our lives and do these things. Or for the good of our lives, for the good of this church, for the good of our families, for the good of this city, Lord, for the good of your glory being seen in the world, would you this week grow us in this area that we be people who put on righteous anger, patience, and forgiveness, Lord, so that your glory might be seen. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song? Man of